Welcome to The Lens, hosted by Catalysis, where we get a glimpse inside healthcare organizations that are transforming to a culture of improvement to deliver continually higher value outcomes for patients, staff, and communities. Visit createvalue.org slash the lens for more information about Catalysis. Welcome back to The Lens. I'm your host, Peter Mariahazi. A recent article on HBR written by Ken Siegel and Dr. John Toussaint stated that before COVID-19 pandemic struck the U.S. healthcare system, we suffered more than 550,000 work-related injuries or illnesses per year. This number is significantly greater than any other industry, and there is no question that healthcare leaders can prevent work-related injuries. Today, I'm joined by the authors, Ken Siegel, the Managing Director at Value Capture, and Dr. John Toussaint, Executive Chairman of the Board at Catalysis. They're here to share five leadership imperatives to protecting healthcare workers. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you, Peter. Ken, will you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and Value Capture? Absolutely. So I'm the managing director of the firm, and we're a mission-focused group that um, has for more than two decades supported healthcare leaders in performance transformations that are rooted in safety. Um, and especially relevant for this broadcast, that has always included staff safety as well as patient safety. Our roots are deep in the operational excellence movement in healthcare, but also industry, um, including Alcoa, which for more than two decades was the safety leader in the world. Um, I also want to add that for more than a decade, we've worked closely together with Catalysis to help leaders recognize the power of these principles and turn them into enduring results and treasure that partnership. Ken, we appreciate that so much. John, you are certainly well known to our listeners. Can you give us a brief update on your work today and what you're up to? Well, we're trying to identify you know, people that are really knocking the cover off the ball as it relates to these principles of uh, organizational excellence. And so that's really what stimulated Ken and I to write this article because there's some very good work that's going on. And, uh, you know, my job today is to uncover that work and, uh, and to publish it so that everyone can learn from that. And, you know, we've recently uh, published articles on the Christie Clinic work and, uh, uh, Children's Mercy in Kansas City. We have several other articles that are in play right now with the Catalysis Healthcare Value Network members. We did one on Cleveland Clinic and others. So that's uh, exciting to, to actually be able to share uh, all of these great ideas and, and, and great systems that are being built by really terrific organizations around the world. Well, as you say, John, the article just goes into five specific things that leaders can focus on to help improve the safety for the staff. What, guys, what are the, what are the goals leaders should have and set for staff injuries and, and illness? Ken? Uh, thanks, Peter. You know, this is, this is fundamental because if you don't get the goal setting right, it's awfully hard to make great things happen otherwise. And you know, when it comes to safety, one of the reasons it's so powerful is if you think even a half second about it, the right goal is zero injuries. It's zero harm. And, you know, we characterize it as sort of what is the theoretical limit? Um, 
of what's possible in performance. If God didn't mandate that it has to happen, it didn't need to happen. Um, and that certainly applies to safety. And um, it sets up the right um, moral equation. Um, it creates a value connection between everybody in the organization. Uh, it says, uh, we care about you and we want you to go home safe if you came to work um, safe. And um, it also uh, critically um, allows us to set up breakthrough think thinking in the organization. So if the goal is zero, which is a hard goal, people can bring really innovative ideas to bear to not just make incremental improvement, which is a crucial part of all this, but also breakthrough improvements. So zero is the right goal. Wow, and that, that really comes across, Ken, as you say, that it's, it's everybody's job. So most healthcare workers get into it because they care about people. They wanna take care of patients. John, what's the connection between staff safety and patient safety? Well, it's interesting. I, I first heard Paul O'Neill speak probably 20 years ago or more at an IHI conference, and, and it was the focus was on staff safety. And he went through all of the wonderful stories he had about uh, safety at uh, Alcoa. And I was, I was sitting in the audience, and I'm going, you know, we're, this is a patient safety conference. What are we talking about staff safety for? I mean, you know, and of course, over the years, it became more and more clear to me that the first step in patient safety is staff safety. If staff don't feel like they have an environment that they can do work safely, that gives their life meaning, then nothing else is going to uh, come of, of that, and especially from the standpoint of patient safety. So. The two are absolutely intertwined and organizations now that we see really working on safety, they, they actually don't make any distinction between staff or patient safety. It's simply safety. And that's the bottom line is, you know, are we talking about uh, safety, no matter who it is uh, in the organization? Well, and as many of our listeners know, we focus on principles, and that's what leaders really need to establish and, and behaviors to support that. So, gentlemen, what, what is the fundamental principle that leaders need to establish in the concept of safety and, and that shooting that for that target of zero, zero illnesses and injury? Ken? Uh, thanks, Peter. You know, the, the fundamental principle that leaders have to work toward is establishing that safety is a precondition for all work. It is not a goal to be traded off with other goals. It is not a priority, but it is a precondition. We have to be able to do the work safely if we're going to do it. And it, it's powerful for lots of reasons, because in order to achieve that, People have to have a way when they feel unsafe or encounter an unsafe condition to call out the risk and receive help. So it sets up the right system around it immediately. Uh, and it sets up the right thinking about process, which is that if we have a great process, if we're applying the principles, Peter, as you said, it is under control, it has no waste, it is predictable, it sets people up for success. And uh, and so again, we're not having to trade off one goal for another. And it, you know, and it also forces leaders into the work because this is not something you can snap your hands and have it um, occur all at once. And um, so it's very powerful and very crucial in all those respects. 
John, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think if we, if, we, if we really tie this back to a very specific principle, it's really the respect for people, right? It's respect for our staff. Ultimately, I think that's what Paul O'Neill really was, was teaching us was, can you say yes to the question, I'm respected by everyone in the organization every single day. And the ultimate show of respect is to create a safe work environment which is what he did and which is what a number of organizations now around the world are doing. And uh, I think, yeah, it's just basic uh, respect to figure out how to build systems that, you know, you can come home at night and see your family without, without the worry of, of being injured, whether it's by COVID-19 or needle sticks or anything else. Good point. Um, you know, as we said, Healthcare has more work-related illnesses and injury than any other industry in the country. And so obviously there are things going on. What, what guidance, what advice should we give to leaders and what should happen when there's a safety event? Ken. So, so the bottom line is that when there is a safety event, any safety event, it needs to be, the organization needs to immediately work to understand what happened to root cause and solutions moving quickly and as close to real time as possible. Um, and obviously, of course, the immediate situation has to be contained. Um, so this sounds straightforward and obvious, but to, for too long in, in much of our improvement events and safety included across the industry, we sort of make it a, we deal with the immediate situation, but we sort of make it a dot on a chart and get to it in, in you know, batches and monthly increments sometimes. And the leaders really recognize that every safety event has to be understood, encountered immediately to root cause 24 or 48 hours. And that requires setting up a system of transparency and other um, sort of supporting concepts and uh, parts of the system around it. But real time investigation, understanding countermeasures and learning. Well, the immediacy of the research and understanding of what happened to be able to improve it, it also can more promptly allow you to prevent it from happening again, and you share that knowledge. That's, that's huge. Right. And if I could add, um, you know, you can't do that if, you're, if you think of this as an experts come in and figure out what happened versus everyone in the organization has to be involved if it happened in their area or they have knowledge that's relevant for it. So again, it's part of building an everyone every day, uh, making improvements, uh, culture and capability that great organizations are striving for. Well, and you've mentioned a couple of times a, a system that, that is immediate and very timely. And what is the system required to identify and solve those safety problems? Well, I think there's a, a number of really fascinating ideas that are being experimented with. I, I've been working with Peace Health uh, out in uh, the Northwest part of the uh, country. They've actually created something they call the safety stop. And uh, what this is, is anyone in the organization can call a safety stop. And within 10 minutes, there is a uh, in the hospital, it's the, 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 the nursing supervisor immediately comes to where the safety stop was called. Within 60 minutes, there's an immediate response team. 
that comes to the place where the safety stop was called. The safety stop can be called for both patient safety and staff safety. And what the first step is, is to take care of the caregivers uh, or the patients that have been involved. So is there something that we need to do immediately to mitigate the risk of, of further injury? In addition, they, they have a whole focus on the emotional, uh, the, the emotional reaction that's occurred within this, uh, these people, whether they're staff or patients. So there's a whole set of activities around that. Once those two things are accomplished, then this uh, immediate response team actually does interviews, takes photographs, uh, really does sort of the investigation part of, of the work to understand the, uh, the actual issue. And, um, and then they have a debrief huddle right at the end of, of that process saying, is the patient safe? Is the staff member safe? Are we good at this point to, to move on? The next morning then what happens is the department leaders uh, who are in charge there meet and have a warm handoff with the administrator on call that had been called the night before as part of the immediate uh, response team. They go through all of the detail of what they learned uh, that, that night or that day, and they prioritize this into either a, an orange event, which means we, we need to put an improvement process in place, or a red event, which means we need to do a root cause analysis immediately and understand what what the uh, what 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 the problem actually was was and and why it happened. Um, <clears throat> from there, they take that root cause, which happens uh, is it, completed within 72 hours, and then they build an action plan. And that action plan includes significant process changes to the you know the area or the the, the issue that's being studied. And within 30 days, all of those process changes are in place and implemented across the entire system. So they've now, you know, transmitted all of this new knowledge about this particular problem across the entire organization. So it's, it's really one of the most uh, comprehensive, uh, you know, processes to manage safety uh, issues that I've, that I've encountered. And uh, they actually, the results are they've reduced um, harm events by over 50% in the last 18 months. So they reduced harm events for both patients and staff members uh, by, by 50%. And it continues to go down if you look at the run chart. So, you know, that's an example of a system, right? So we put in a system that everybody from top leadership to frontline understands what it is, how you do it, who you call, you know, what's supposed to happen, and then, you know, action plans are, are you know, have who, what, by when on them, and, and then implemented across the entire system. Wow. Yes, Ken. Um, John's example is so powerful in what Peace Health is doing, and I, I just want to draw attention to um, a phrase John used, which everyone from the leaders on down, so it's not the leaders, uh, job to solve the problems, but it's the leader's job to drive the system and ensure it's working and touch it every day and visibly touch it every day that they're part of the system. And, you know, that wasn't the case, especially as it relates to staff safety um, in most of the industry before COVID. 
But one of the things Catalysis says value capture others have always talked about with leaders is the power of safety to create that profound connection and to get a system going, as John has described, that not only addresses something fundamentally important, um, but also creates the capabilities that then can be applied across the board. And as John describes that system, you can imagine the, the capabilities that are growing and everybody that participates in the way morale is growing, et cetera. And I think our hope is that COVID, as it was a, you know, a staff and patient safety emergency for the whole world, helps more leaders realize safety really is most important. And it's a wonderful, if challenging, lens to, you know, to touch every day um, and great things can come from it, you know, even beyond the protection of the team and the, and the translation of patient safety. And um, we see just what John described and other leaders that John and I talk about in the article, like Duke Health and um, International Hospital Corporation that are also putting up, you know, dramatic numbers moving towards zero with this uh, deliberately designed system that the leaders are not separate from. They are just helping it go while empowering everybody else beneath them. Well, and, and based on how you two are describing, I mean, clearly there's a cascade of the principle of respect for every individual. There's a sense of urgency. And, and you mentioned Ken earlier, transparency. So seen and we want to get this better because we want to be a safe and, and, and wonderful environment for people to work in. So one of the tendencies is we've of late heard of the heroism of, of healthcare workers, and there's no question that those people are literally on the front line. How should we view caregiver heroism in this? Ken? Um, Peter, you know, John and I, this is a really important point to us as we wrote this, which is really calling out that we can't use heroism as an excuse not to reflect deeply on the fact that healthcare workers were sent into the COVID crisis and actually pre-COVID crisis into healthcare environments at risk unnecessarily. Um, and uh, they are heroes um, and they're heroes just for caring for people who need help and doing it with their professionalism and what they're able to do. Uh, as well as their emotional support. Um, to the extent we're using heroism as a cover for you put yourself at risk to do this, we are worried that healthcare won't do the deeper work of reflecting on they shouldn't have needed to be heroes in that respect. And, um, you know, there are, so there are elements where we don't want leaders to let themselves off the hook by thinking of this hero label and using it within the organization. And then I think we all know in this industry, there are characteristics of the healthcare culture where self-sacrifice is, um, is part of it. And we also want every professional in healthcare to take a moment to reflect on what they've been through or how they've been uh, acculturated and realize that they shouldn't have to put themselves at risk and they uh, should want to be part of the system as John has described and expect it. Um, which has a very different set of assumptions than unnecessary heroism at its core. You know, I, I kind of see heroism as, as a failure, frankly. It's, it's a failure of leadership to create the standards and the systems that allow people to be safe. 
And we love to put our healthcare workers on a pedestal and they certainly in this crisis deserve to be there. But the reality is that if we'd done our job right as leaders, uh, we wouldn't have to make these people into heroes. We would have had the systems, we would have had the PPE, we would have had you know, all of the things that they needed to stay safe. And because safety was not the number one priority, it then fell to, you know, number 50. And guess what happened? 100,000 workers or more got infected, thousands died. And, you know, to me, that's on the leadership. If we had put safety as the number one priority, we would not have had these people having to be heroes. So it's really lack of systems, lack of planning, uh, and lack of focus on, on what the number one priority should be. And so we really have to step back and, say, and, 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 and rethink as leaders in healthcare, you know, what are our priorities and do we have the systems in place to keep our workers safe? Absolutely. And, and even considering the environment itself is already stressful, regardless of the risks to the healthcare workers themselves, but just the stress of that high um, critical environment that they're in in the first place. Gentlemen, are there any other thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners as we close out? Ken, how can, how, what do you got? Peter, I have one. Um, and you know, as some of the early reflections on the COVID crisis have come, including as it relates to safety for caregivers, obviously PPE and lack of PPE has been a huge call out. And there's even been some criticism of uh, quote unquote lean concepts like just in time, et cetera. And I wanted to call out that um, I think what it shows from the context of safety is that this rethink that John has just described can't stop just at the hospital door or the, even a single health system that we've got to think more broadly. And when we, you know, if we think about what we realized, um, there've been some movement toward using the principles and just in time within particular systems or particular customer supplier connections. And yet really one step past the hospital or the clinic door, it was huge batches of material coming from thousands of miles away. And so as we rethink, yes, we know we may need to build our safety stock, but we also need to build our full supply chains that depend on safety with the principles of continuous improvement fully present and not interrupted so closely um, past the hospital door. So our whole industry needs to more deeply um, apply the principles so that they can manifest the core principle of respect for people. And uh, it's important to understand what the lesson is and not um, throw babies out with bathwater, but instead go deeper. Great point, Ken. That's the, the whole industry has got to be holistic about this and how do all the pieces work together. John, any final thoughts for the listeners? Well, I would just leave with, with everybody what, you know, Paul O'Neill, um, you know, one of his core questions always was, you know, has the leader created the environment that allows the worker to do work that gives their life meaning? And part of that environment is to have the equipment, to have the safety systems and other things 
that allow people to go home at night and feel like they're not at risk. Thank you, Ken and John, for talking with us today. We appreciate your insights on how to keep healthcare workers safe. And thank you all for listening. Visit createvalue.org to find resources that can help you lead in the constantly changing healthcare environment. All of us at Catalysis hope you all stay healthy and thank you to those healthcare workers who are working to keep us safe. Stay tuned for more episodes designed to help healthcare leaders navigate through the rapidly changing world that COVID-19 has presented. Thank you for listening. Visit createvalue.org slash the lens to learn more about how Catalysis can inspire you to accelerate change in your organization.